Hi, I'm Jillian Swinford. And I'm Haley Brolison. And this is Mother Nature Will Kill You. A podcast about the most horrific tragedies and the most triumphant survival stories that the wilderness can provide. So grab your backpack and maybe a bottle of wine and let's go on a wild ride into the unknown. Walking down this road I go, but I am going alone, running far, far from home, till I am skin and bone. Everybody. Hello, our listeners, and welcome back. We're back at it. Yeah, to uh, creating nightmares that you will make you never want to go to sleep. <laughs> yeah, so the past few episodes we've recorded in the morning time, mm-hmm. so it gives me all day to recover. And then mm-hmm. now, today for this episode, it is uh, 8.04 on my East Coast time, so it is an hour and a half away from my bedtime. <laughs> <laughs> So you'll be fine. Uh, Just, you know, images of dead people might be burned into your eyelids. It's it's casual. Good thing I got the Headspace (laughs) app, you know, wake up and put on a nightmare SOS Mm -hmm. uh, meditation Mm -hmm. gets me right back to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, whatever, whatever helps, man. Um, So how are you? I'm good. I feel like it's been a minute since I talked to you. Yes. Like, I don't know where we left off. (laughs) A lot has happened. Well, because the last time we recorded, we were in my old rental house and I was in the process of moving. I think I was painting that weekend, if I remember, Uh um, because I listened to that episode recently. But and now I'm in a new house, which is an actual legitimate house and not a concrete cinder block bunker that looks kind of like a house <laughs> moving up in the world <laughs> moving up um it's one of those things that you have to deal with living in the middle of nowhere is uh housing it can be difficult to find oh yeah for sure feel that right now yeah it's gotten worse like when i first moved down here there it was limited options now there's no options yes like it's the rental market and the housing market have just gotten mm-hmm. bananas and so all of our all the rentals in this area were like the same price which was too much more than Mm -hmm. I wanted to pay but I I was like you know if I'm going to pay this amount anyway I might as well get a nice fucking house (laughs) yeah Yeah, for sure I don't don't, because there's a lot of houses around here that are just piles of poop you know yeah (laughs) Yeah, well I'm glad you enjoyed my recipe that I sent you oh my god that was so good I had that for dinner tonight it was leftovers and I had Mm. it again and I like when I reheated it, I was like, oh, this is still so good, even as leftovers. <laughs> I love how easy it is, too. Like, it's, like, foolproof, I feel like. Yes. Yeah. I uh, I, I guess I can call him my boyfriend now. But um, I made it for him. My boyfriend. <laughs> oh, shit. All right. Well, uh, 
Yeah, but I uh, I made that. I was like cleaning the house on Saturday, and I had that going while I was cleaning the house, and I like purged some stuff and gave it to Salvation Army, and so we had it for dinner. And he was like, "This is really good. You did a great job on this." And I was like, "Hey." It took me 10 minutes to put it in the crock pot and then it sat there for six hours. Like I did not do anything, it's but weird. like, thank you. <laughs> like, yeah. This is great. I was like, I'm impressed with myself too. And I didn't really do anything for it. It's great. <laughs> so, so you can thank Jillian. She's the one that gave me the recipe. <laughs> for our listeners, it's a Pinterest recipe. Um, it's a crock pot pork loin um, with apples that you like cut little slices into the pork and you stick apple slices in and you just put like mm-hmm. cinnamon and honey and rosemary like onions all kinds of good stuff so I think it's like an apple pork lo- or pork loin you can look it up on Pinterest and it is like the easiest freaking fall recipe and I am just living for those kinds of recipes right now <laughs> uh-huh though, oh it's still like like 90 degrees out yeah, yeah same yeah. I went to TJ Maxx and got an apple scented candle because of fall. And so yes. like I cleaned the house, lit a fall candle, made that pork loin. And I was like, oh, this is so great. Yes. <laughs> it's like fall inside the house, even though it's like 90 degrees outside. I know, I know. I've got all my fall decorations, Halloween stuff out. And tonight I made a pumpkin chorizo chipotle soup, which was really good. Ooh, that it's sounds first time good. I've made, ever made that. And, uh, but I can still hear the dang cicadas outside. So (laughs) it takes away a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. Missing that East Coast fall. Did I tell you that I had rats or that we have rats, but like the rats were getting in my car? Yes. So update on that situation is I've killed three of them and I've I've disposed of two of them. (laughs) And the other one, I don't know what happened to it. And I kind of think Waylon like buried it somewhere. I mean, I I don't think he ate it, but like the one trap that he got it from, it was like, it's a long rectangular box and it electrocutes the rat when it goes in not there. poison at least. Yeah. And you put peanut butter on the back door, like mm-hmm. on the inside. Mm-hmm. So I thought I put this thing high enough. Come to find out I did not because I walked down in the morning and like it's knocked over and I was like, oh shit. And I know that there's a rat in it because I saw it the day before and I just forgot to like remove it because I like walked out of the house. And as I was walking out of the house, I saw that there was one in there. And I was like, oh, I'll just get that later. And I forgot about it. But um, so, yeah, then I then I uh, yeah, next day it's like on the ground. The batteries have like like popped out of it and like there is no rat to be found around it. And I am like, oh, Jesus Christ, Waylon. Like, <laughs> where, where is it? Oh, Waylon. At least he didn't bring it inside the house. Like, that's yeah. fine. He kind of, like, left it on your pillow or something as a present for you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's done that with his bones before. Like, he's hidden bones underneath my pillows before. Mm-hmm. And then I go to bed and I, like, put my hand under my pillow and I feel this hard thing. And I'm like... <laughs> what the fuck what is this it's like a dog bone all right tight cool (laughs) casual (laughs) yeah casual dog bone underneath the pillow but yeah so the rat situation seems to be getting better and i i trapped the one in my car Mm -hmm. and i have not seen any like rat nesting signs where they were yeah so hopefully fingers crossed i fix that problem Dude, we've been there, done that. Remember when we talked about all the rats living in my cinder block fucking house? Yes. <laughs> it's not fun 
at all. It's not. And it's like, it's so frustrating because I'm like, I'm not like a super, like I'm messy. Sure. I could be cluttered, but I'm not dirty. I don't like leaving things like gross and covered in food and stuff. So it just made me feel like so bad about myself, but it turns out there's a bunch of holes in that house. <laughs> so they were just getting it like, it yeah, what it was. Yeah. Here, like they live in the palm trees and then like, obviously yeah. they like nuts and stuff. And there's this one tree that like in our yard that nuts fall from it. It's like the, and I guess they're like almonds technically, because like when you crack the large nut open, it's like an almond type mm-hmm. of nut in the middle of it. And that's like the nesting material that was in my car and like around the house and everything and so in my head I'm like there's no way I'm ever gonna get rid of all of these nuts around here like that's something that I can't control so (laughs) like we're always gonna have some sort of like source for them it's Mm -hmm. like just kind of what it is yeah but yeah Yeah. it's annoying well at least you're actually catching them in the traps because I caught all my me and Corey caught all of them by hand every (gasps) because that's like so dangerous with diseases the traps didn't work (sighs) So we caught them all by hand. <laughs> How did you like lure them? Were they just like already like cornered? Oh, uh, long stories. I could go on for about 30 minutes about all of we our don't need rat- to talk about it. Adventures. <laughs> um, some of them were just by chance. Some of them would go to the same spots like every night and we would hear them. And so we would get up and figure out how to like keep them contained in that area so it's just a lot of that kind of outwitting a rat which is actually more difficult than you think it's gonna be but i mean there's a reason why there's tom and jerry and uh little sneaky sneak yeah he's a lot smarter yeah (laughs) so i will apologize if my voice is a little "Eh," today um i'm coming down off of a what i thought was allergies uh turned into i think some kind of like cold or something. That's fine. So how I are you might, feeling? Um, I'm feeling much better. I had like a fever earlier, and then like earlier this week, and then Corey got it. So we're doing great. Love that. I was sick like that for probably like about 24 hours, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was last week at some point. It was the oddest thing because like I had worked out, like I did had to like a heavy leg workout like three days before I felt like shit, mm-hmm. and so I was like, oh. My uh, my legs are just sore, but now I'm thinking about it. I was like, maybe that was like, it, they were more sore because it was like body achy kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. But I just thought it was like my legs are sore. And then like at night as I'm getting ready for bed, I just get like out of nowhere, so hot and clammy. Mm-hmm. And I was taking my temperature and I wasn't like, I didn't, I wasn't reading as a fever. I was like 98.6, like the whole time, but I was so hot and clammy. And I was like, wow, this is like really uncomfortable. And, um, yeah. And like, I had like the facial congestion. I was like, what the fuck yep. is happening? Yeah. I went and got COVID tested the next day. Cause I was like, uh, I'm scared. And obviously it was negative, but, yeah. um, I think there's just a head cold going around. Cause that's pretty much my symptoms too. Um, except I was having like cold flashes as well. Um, yeah. Like, I just couldn't get warm, which is crazy because it's like 80 degrees, 88 degrees here. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Like I was outside, like in a sweatshirt, like freezing my ass off. So. Yeah. I think a cold is just going around and it just mm-hmm. hits us all worse because we've been masked up and sanitized for like the full two years. Right. And we're all, you know, anytime we get sick, we're all like, holy shit. Oh my God. Like, let's all you know, freak out, Panic. COVID <laughs> tested. And it's like, but there's other things you can get sick from that are mm-hmm. just that have, we've always gotten sick, like, you know, common cold or whatever. 
Yeah. I, I honestly think that's what's going on. It probably was. I took like a day off work, I believe. Yeah. Um, where I tried to work from home or something. And then like that evening, I mowed the lawn because I felt better. So I was like, all right. Look, <laughs> <laughs> like it's over. Oh, that's nice. Mine's mine's dragging out, unfortunately. So I may be blowing my nose a little bit, but it's fine. So that's I heard okay. that we can take breaks. Or we talked about um that you have an update on the Gabby Petito case. Oh yeah, there's plenty of updates. I mean, they found her body, um, and it was confirmed that it was her body. And um, the the boyfriend, fiance, whoever you want to say, um, his name is Brian Laundry. He is still not talking, and neither are his parents. And in fact, at this point, he has been quote unquote missing for I think two or three weeks now. It's been a while. It's and been the, the, like <clears throat> since I moved, which was like three weeks ago. So. Yeah, it's been a while. <clears throat> Sorry, now I got something in my throat. Um, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> and um, so his parents had told the authorities that like he was missing. And they alerted the authorities about, I want to say it was like three days after he had like left the house. Mm-hmm. Which like, I don't know, three days is a little much considering the current situation yes like the whole um speculation to him having something to do with gabby's death was going on and so if i were his parents i'd be like "Mm, you probably shouldn't leave the house or go anywhere because like your face is all over the news and people hate you and Mm -hmm. you know just lay low if anything right yeah um so he apparently his parents said that he went to the carlton reserve which is this nature preserve and i think it's sarasota county and um so he his parents say that he's in this reserve and um the authorities are looking for him they're still looking for him but it's like this massive nature preserve yeah like thousands tens of thousands of acres and um so i think it was two days ago the authorities like asked his dad to join the search and it's just like (laughs) dude your son's been missing for like how many weeks and now you're you're just now like helping with the search like and then i guess through other um investigation the parents had said that like it i read it as the parents are starting to like backtrack their story a little bit like it was a oh like he left on this day and like we reported missing on this day and then it was like oh he actually like left the day earlier and so it had been like four days of him missing instead of like like, three days of him missing and so they're starting to become some um some storylines that aren't aligning i guess and and there's something sketchy going on there which i guess i can't understand like you know it's your kid you want to protect them but at the same time when I you know I don't have kids so ultimately I don't know what I would do but if my kid like killed somebody and I knew they killed somebody I'd be like yo ass is going to jail I did not raise you like this yes <laughs> like who are you like you are not my child yeah <laughs> um yeah so his sister was interviewed recently and she pretty much claims that she doesn't know anything about it and if she did know anything about it she would turn him in mm-hmm. so and i guess it was during that interview that i was watching that she said that her parents lawyer had told her parents not to say anything to her about mm-hmm. 
this whole situation, which is also very odd because it's like, that's your daughter and like you're not talking to her about her missing brother. (laughs) Yeah. It's a little weird. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, there's definitely a lot. There's a lot of weirdness going on there for sure. What what national park was she found in? She's found in Grand Teton. And so this is like, so that's uh, public, not public. Was it public land? But anyway, it it happened in a national park or surrounding national park. And so the FBI, it's my understanding that the FBI is on it because it happened on federal land. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, or she was found on federal land. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there's, I don't know how her body was found. I just heard that it was found. Um, and my, I'm wondering like if animals got to it, if she was sitting out there for like a week or so, that would have been devastating. Yeah. But, um, so yeah, the FBI is involved. And so like they put out an arrest warrant for Brian because he had committed, um, what is it like fraud? Like he had used her debit card. Mm-hmm. After she was like reported missing, so it's like there his arrest warrant is for that, not for involvement of her disappearance or yeah. murder, whatever happened. So it's a little frustrating for <laughs> everyone involved. I'm sure that he's not he's the arrest warrant isn't even for like murder. It's yeah. for using her debit card. <laughs> well, and that's often how they get. Um, killers, you know, that they know did it, but don't have any concrete evidence mm-hmm. yet, like yeah. any like concrete physical evidence on or near the body that would, you know, inexplicably like link them with the crime. And yeah, that's how they got. I think that's how they got Ted Bundy. I mean, they pulled him over like for speeding or some, something mm-hmm. like that. And um, there's a lot of killers that get pulled over for speeding or because they have a stolen vehicle or because they have, you know, they were doing pot. So mm-hmm. <laughs> like there's a, something that's, that's something like that you can use to like hold people. Yeah. So that they can't like run away at, like Brian Landry Laundry clearly did. Yeah. So I think I mean, I'm with you on that one. I think that's probably why they're trying to get him. So Mm -hmm. they're like, we don't have enough evidence for the murder part yet. But once we get him in for this, then, you know, they'll be able to question him more. I did a quick search and it says like everywhere that um, the FBI has not released a cause of death for her yet. I think they've done the autopsy, but they're keeping it close to the chest for whatever reason, maybe because they have they evidence yeah yeah that would leak brian to the crime i don't know um but be interesting to kind of see how this plays out i actually saw an article the other day and i it was kind of from what might have been a bogus news source but it was interesting nonetheless yeah <laughs> so apparently people are flying drones over the laundry's backyard Oh, really? Do they think he's hiding like under the like porch or one of the flower beds? um, Because there's apparently drone footage of his mom looking like she's giving something to somebody under the porch, which is no freaking way. I don't know how legit it is, but interesting. Well, I mean, with the public, this being so much in the public eye, Mm -hmm. like I could totally see. I mean, and that's like you can fly drones over people's houses. Yeah, like, it's not illegal. 
No. I mean, it is if it's like federal property or like military yeah. property or something, but, but technically, yeah, technically, like what are, what are they going to do? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Unless they catch your drone. Well, and really I, much you can do. I forget where I saw this and I forget if it was like an interview with like law enforcement or if it was like an article, mm. but it, it read or said that he's going to be somewhere where that's like his comfort zone mm-hmm. that he knows well yeah. and it's going to be with someone that he trusts because who's going to like you want to go with someone that's not going to rat you out right yeah so like that's like close family and close friends yeah and comfort like his sister was saying in her interview that she would consider him to be a mediocre outdoorsman she was like he's lasted <laughs> Like, she's like, he's gone on the Appalachian Trail for trips, but he only goes for, like, four or five days at a time. Yeah. Like, he's not out there for weeks on end. Yeah, it's, so. one, it's one thing to go on, like, a week-long trip where you have, you know, all the supplies and whatnot that you might need. It's another thing to, like, completely go off the grid. Like, mm-hmm. leave no trace in, like, the Florida wilderness because, let's be real, especially this time of year, that area is swampy (laughs) yeah so i would i wouldn't be surprised if he's under the porch you know what i mean yeah so yeah anything else to report no that's the update on that really just they're still looking for him yeah and for all of you guys listening um we don't you know typically report on true crime but sometimes we do especially if it's related to you know the outdoors nature as this one was i mean they went to three different national parks before um she was uh killed and then in addition he may or may not be hiding out in another park area yeah also there was a article that came out and it said that there was a hiker on the appalachian trail who had like an extensive conversation with someone that he is like 99.9% sure was Brian. Like he was like I, recently? Yeah, like a week or two ago. Oh, and he was like I he's like I wasn't sure. He's like I had heard about the case, but I didn't know what the guy looked like and so like, you know, I was scrolling through whatever social media or whatever he was scrolling through. He's like and I saw a photo of him and he was like, "Oh my god, I am pretty oh, certain no. that was who I talked to." And so there's also speculation out there that he's on the Appalachian Trail somewhere. Wow. But again, so, like his sister said, like he's never lasted more than like four or five days on there. So yeah, but on the AT, I feel like one, weather conditions are probably going to be a lot easier to deal with, and two, you meet people you know who can help you. Yeah, but like, do you think that those people would know who he is? <laughs> yeah, that's true. It is a big. It is a big story. That's a good mm-hmm. point. I don't know. It I just, mean, I guess we could go like pick up packages from like a post office if it's yeah. sending him stuff. Yeah, that's but. true. Yeah. Well, and this just goes to show you that, you know, this country, there's a lot of people living here. We've been doing a lot of damage to the environment, but there are still wild places that you can run off to and disappear if you really Mm -hmm. want to. Like it's possible. I've started to pay less attention to the story because I'm just like, you know, if there's a major development, like it's going to be the first thing anybody says. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, and waiting for that. Yeah. Not to mention, you know, there are, you know, thousands of missing women and children, missing and murdered women and children whose cases do not get this level of yes. attention. Attention. Mm-hmm. A lot of them, uh, people of color or indigenous people um, are also more, near the more targeted uh, groups and they don't really get the help or support 
because, you know, they're not Instagram famous or whatever. I mean, I just got like three or four Amber Alerts from the Houston area alone in the last Mm -hmm. like three weeks. So it's a constant thing. Obviously, that's not the focus of this podcast, but I just want to kind of bring that to light. Um, and if it's you true, though, go that's support. what I said the last time yeah. I was like, this is so blown up. And like, thankfully, they have the money to blow it up because I'm sure part of this is like, if you have the money to put this missing person case out there, then like, oh. you know, but well, and that's not to say that, you know, Gabby Petito doesn't deserve justice. That's not I'm saying that everybody. Oh, no, deserves, not at all. Everyone. Yeah, I'm not justice. saying that at all. Yes. Every woman, man or child who's killed unjustly brutally deserve justice and we just don't see that in this country for everybody yeah no yeah so but i mean imagine if every case was blasted as much as this one was like that's all you would see every day i know know. it'd be exhausting absolutely like and it'd be so hard to keep up with it would be it's it is and that's part of the problem but um so how do you know how do you solve that there's no easy answer unfortunately um teach men to not be dicks i guess yeah <laughs> like hey don't kill your girlfriend because like, you have a about, disagreement you know you can just break up and it's okay oh <laughs> <Yes>. uh, <laughs> yeah that poor girl that was one of the things she said apparently to the officer in moab was like she gets anxiety being away from him mm. and so i have no idea what that relationship was like obviously yeah the interview with that police officer said that um she did tell gabby that like you're in a toxic relationship it'd be best to distance yourself from him oh wow and then that's when she was like i get anxiety like being away from him apparently this is all from yeah i mean that's kind of a sign of, of an abusive relationship though i mean she's probably um for lack of a better term and kind of a stockholm syndrome you know mm-hmm. where she was thought she was more dependent on this person emotionally because he's he might have been very likely manipulating her yeah and so you know i said that the sister was like i had you know no i don't know where he is i had no idea about it blah blah blah. Mm -hmm. well apparently like a few days after he got back without gabby the whole family went on a camping trip um to i forget what the park was called but it was to another park in florida and um i was reading comments about like he was on some news article about the case and I was reading the comments about it. And one of the guys commented, he was like, something's up with the sister. Like, I know she says she doesn't know anything, but how are you going to go on a camping trip with your family a few days after your brother returns without his girlfriend that you knew was on a trip with? Yeah. Like, <laughs> what? And maybe he was manipulating them too and lying. I mean, you could always be like, Oh, yeah, Gabby said to keep the camper at my house because she, you know, doesn't have room for it at her house or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's possible. It's entirely possible. Yeah. I don't know. A wild story, though. Yeah, it's, it's uh, interesting. So uh, speaking of spooky stuff. Spooky season. It is spooky season. Mm, it's not ready. <laughs> it's not that scary. It's actually more to me it's more interesting than scary but there is an uncomfy picture that you are welcome to look at i mean mm. you don't have to you've already seen it because you went ahead and looked stuff up i like to ruin things for myself what can i say 
Yeah, I'm going to suggest that you don't do that on the next one. It's a defense mechanism. Uh-huh. <laughs> when I get anxious during movies, I start looking up the plot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. So, yeah. So, last episode, we talked about the HMS Erebus and Terror and Sir John Franklin and his expedition to try to find the Northwest Passage. And mm-hmm. how we're pretty sure they all died horribly and were never seen from again. It's like if uh, Shackleton went bad. Yes. Right? <laughs> yes. Shackleton failed, essentially. Um this is what would happen. However, there's so few like remains to really figure out what mm-hmm. the f- hell happened to all these people <laughs> that that's what makes this whole story interesting. Oh, and the two ships also disappeared. Um, and oh, right, because they got crushed and sunk beneath ice, and so mm-hmm. they're just out there somewhere. So there's literally no evidence. It's like no, they just up and like, vanished. Yeah. I mean, there there is evidence, but it's like it's not not solid, a lot, not solid yeah. evidence. So today we're gonna kind of like pick apart what uh, discoveries have been made in the 20th and 21st century. So very pretty recently, mm-hmm. um, and we're gonna use like real science to kind of figure out what happened to everybody. In not the that fake science that you learn on the internet. <laughs> Well, I'm saying not uh, science circa 1850, you know. Yeah, yeah, no, I know what you mean. We're going to use some anthropology and forensics and, you know, climate science and that kind of stuff. <laughs> if you watch enough YouTube, you could figure it out on your own, right? <laughs> Dude, I have cited scientific papers in this one. I love <laughs> That's it. That's how legit we're getting all right, so let's get back into the HMS Erebus and Terror, which mm-hmm. were two Arctic exploration ships from 1845, which were carrying 128 officers and men under the command of Sir John Franklin. So like I said before, their goal was to connect the Northwest Passage from the maze of islands in the Arctic archipelago um, from the Atlantic to the Pacific. And basically the goal was to enable easier trade between Europe and Asia because the Panama Canal did not exist at the time. So the only way to get from the Atlantic to the Pacific was to go all the way around the sa- southern tip of South America. And it was a long ass trip. No, no, like, we ain't got, we don't got time for that. Right. Ain't nobody got time for that. I just don't know how they thought they were going to have like a serious trade route through there though considering how icy it was and, and still is. Like, well, you could how- say that they, they fucked around and found out. So they did. They did. <laughs> <laughs> how so it goes. You can pull up that map again for reference. Um, yeah, I got the- you right here. So the ships entered the archipelago around Baffin Island in the winter of 1845 and were never seen alive by Europeans again. Um, rescuers and then later recovery crews were sent to this region of the Arctic as early as 1849 and began piecing the clues of what might have happened to the expedition together. Bones and a few complete skeletons had been found, some rumored to be the subject of cannibalism, as well as um, a trail of goods from the expedition. Uh, expedition were found including um lifeboats and boots and even entire sets of cutlery because that's 
necessary for Arctic survival. I remember we talked about that and we were like, it was so much cutlery. (laughs) Right? Yes. Like, just wash it. It wasn't like, you know, each man had like a fork and a knife. Like, that makes sense because you got to, you know, cut things and eat. Like, just one, just one set. Right. No, it was like entire sets of silver. And every time you say like entire sets, my mom has a set of gold um cutlery like uh-huh. in a box yeah that's like a pretty box yeah. and so I just keep envisioning like <laughs> these sets of cutlery like just like 30 of those boxes that my mom has <laughs> just, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. So. I mean, the only reason I, I could think to bring that mm-hmm. is if they were still so delusional to think that like survival was imminent because those are valuable they bring like, like 17 pairs of boots when they started walking across the ice. No, one guy was hoarding boots. Oh, okay. Yeah. There was that guy. Yeah, he was just hoarding <laughs> boots. <laughs> boots and chocolate. Well, then there's that. Yeah, there's a lot. Listen to the first episode if you don't remember all of this, because there's there's a lot going on. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack here. <laughs> so much. And there's going to be so much more to unpack. Oh, God. Um, so all of these, you know, the trail of goods, the um, bones, and a couple of complete skeletons were all scattered across King William Island, um, which is an island just north of uh, mainland Canada woo, in the uh, modern day state of none of it, which we'll talk about none of it. None of it? Yeah. Like none of it. Yeah, it's pronounced none of it, but it's spelled uh n-u-n-e-v-i-t yeah it's inuit yeah gotcha gotcha yeah yeah we'll get into um none of it in a little bit because that's a really interesting place that i would love to go to um so anyway we know that um three graves were found on beachy island um Mm -hmm. so like i said for this episode we're gonna look at the modern attempts to uncover this mystery um using modern technology and kind of modern acceptance of other cultures because if you remember the british were not so keen on the inuits account of what happened to Mm -hmm. men because you know racism and bigotry was alive and well in 1850 um, still kind of alive and well now, but we're we're a little bit more woke, you know. Mm-hmm. We're a little bit more willing to listen. Hashtag woke. Hashtag. <laughs> um, so now to get into those dreaded graves on Beachy Island. So these three graves had been found early on in the recovery efforts. And it's likely because Beachy Island was the first wintering location of the HMS Erebus and Terror before they headed further into the Arctic archipelago. So basically they knew that they were going to get frozen in every single winter. So they had three years of provisions, you know, for that explicit purpose. And so it's likely that they overwintered near Beachy Island. um, And that was kind of a planned thing, you know, Mm -hmm. but during that time, three individuals died and were buried. Oh no. Right. Um, and so that's where those three graves come from. Right. And that that island, that's like a pebbly beachy island. Is that what my yeah. memory reminds me of? Okay. It's so far north that there's not like plants. It's, yes. It's mm-hmm. really it's tundra. Um, if not, you know, just a big glacial frozen plain, especially during the winter. Mm-hmm. 
So in 18, sorry, not 18, 19, <laughs> in modern. <laughs> um, it's like, that's a, that's a big difference. <laughs> in 1984, forensic anthropologist Dr. Owen Beatty found relics and human remains that were overlooked from early searches and actually decided to exhume those three bodies. Oh. Um, which are the mummies that you have seen on <laughs> against <accident>. my will. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to, it's the second um, slide. There's the photo of the three graves on that very, very desolate Arctic Island. And then the three mummies, um, which are remarkably well-preserved, fully mummified. And yeah, so th- their faces are somewhat distorted just because, you know, mummification kind of pulls and tugs and dries out your skin. So it's going to pull your face in different directions. But like, they're incredibly well preserved. Like, I can kind of picture what these three individuals might have actually looked like. Icky. They're icky, but <laughs> that has a full head of hair. He does. It's gross. And that Ow. guy has. I keep knocking my teeth on the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> like oh um yeah no they're definitely hairy they still got a look to them they they still they, they look like they look like zombies almost i would say or vampires that one on the right looks like a vampire yeah absolutely have you seen what we do in the shadows yes yes so you know there there's some uh decaying wear and tear on these guys but still it's incredible like how real they look considering they died in like 1845 and were dug up in the 80s like that's crazy um and that's what the arctic can do for you (laughs) is the one on the left a woman no they're all they're all men I should not have zoomed in. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I don't know why I did that. (laughs) So these guys are going to haunt your dreams. So if you're not interested in seeing pictures of dead bodies, don't don't go look this up. Just don't do it. But there are mummies. They're not, you know, bloody. They're just kind of distorted. So once they dug these guys up, obviously they're well-preserved because of the extreme cold of the region and the dryness, actually. Well, yeah, that's what I was going to ask. And that one dude on the left, it looks like his nose is frostbitten. It's black. But I don't know if that's from being a mummy or not. I, You know, I, I'm not sure, but it could be a little column A, a little column B, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it looks like he has that long hair, which is why I asked if he was a woman, because it looked long and curly. And the thing around his face looks like a... Like a bonnet situation yes. happening. I'm almost wondering if they had that wrapped around his jaw to keep it closed. Oh. That's something that they used to do. Like if you died and your mouth was like agape, they would wrap something around to keep it closed. So you didn't look, you know, like, you know, when you're in your oh, really? coffin. Yeah. Oh, I had no idea that was a thing. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's what that was for. I don't know why I would want to know that's a thing. So props to you for knowing that. But again, yeah. this is this is your jam. I so know too much. I know too much. <laughs> so the cool thing about this whole thing was Dr. Owen Beatty decided to take um, tissue uh, samples and bone samples um, before they were removed, and now they're on exhibition in the UK. I don't know if you can go see them now or if they're 
um, you know, being preserved, um, but they were on exposition ex, oh right. ex exhibition <laughs> at some point. <laughs> it's okay. Words are hard. Words are hard. It's a Monday. So <clears throat> from the tissue and bone samples, BD found that the amount of lead was exponentially high compared to normal levels for the time. So they had an enormous amount of lead in their tissues. That's weird. Yeah. So would that be by consuming something that has a lot of lead in it? Ding, 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 ding. So what has a lot of lead in it that they're eating? I'm going to get there. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Your head. <laughs> so this led BD to develop a lead poisoning theory. Um, likely this came from the expedition's canned food supply. Hmm. So canned food was a relatively new technology for the time. And because they purchased this in bulk, they purchased probably a cheaper variety. Um, and these tin cans were soldered shut with lead. Get the fuck out. Yeah. So like they did so much more harm than good when they packed our food. Uh-huh. So they're thinking this later leached into the food and because it was so cheaply made, it you know... Uh, other ones would have lasted longer, maybe wouldn't have leached as much. Um, but so that was the situation. Um, so a large part of the HMS Erebus and Terrace food stores were these newfangled tin cans. So it's possible that many of the men experienced high levels of lead poisoning. However, it's unlikely that this lead poisoning was what caused these three men to die, um, considering that all of the other men survived for... Uh, several years longer um, until they ultimately met their fate on King William Island. Hmm. So these three men, um, it's probably more likely that a disease or some other common malady of the time may have caused these three men to die. I mean, it was a long time ago. People died from shit a lot more frequently yeah, do now. And people just, died from like the common cold back then. Right. Or, you know, maybe they had tuberculosis or I don't know, you know, there's yeah. a lot of stuff or maybe they, you know, froze to death when they were outside for too long. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of things that could have been. It's just still so odd how those were the only three that had a bunch of lead in their tissue. Well, those are the only three that had tissue to sample. Oh, the other ones that died on that island don't they they're just bones. They're all skeletal, yeah. Oh. And it's, it's probably because they were buried, so uh, scavengers couldn't get at them. All righty. So we really don't know mm-hmm. if they get their one tenth. But, I mean, to your point, if they lived for, like, years after, mm-hmm. I but wonder there's... if the I wonder if the iron in the tissue that they found were toxic levels. Did you say if they were toxic levels or if it was just higher than what they normally were? They said it was exponentially high compared to normal okay, levels. So, so uh, and assuming lead, that's toxic. Yeah, BD developed a poisoning theory, so they must have been at such high levels that that would be possible. <laughs> hmm. Interesting. So, yeah, but until an expedition log can be recovered, we may never know if anyone else was experiencing like symptoms of lead poisoning. Yeah. Um. Hmm. So that's one thing. Interesting. So, in 1992, the year I was born. That was a good year, wasn't it? (laughs) That was a good year. (laughs) I say that whenever someone references 93. I was like, oh, that was a good year. They're like, really? What happened? I was like, I was born. (laughs) (laughs) 
All right. So in 92, um, forensic archaeologists from Trent University examined another body site in great detail in order to look for evidence of cannibalism, among other things, excuse me, that may have caused the men's death. So if you remember, um, the Inuit told the British that um, they uh, saw many um, sites of dead bodies that were very clearly the British explorers with a lot of evidence of cannibalism and the mm-hmm. Brits were like, no, you're stupid and simple. It can't be that. Or British. They would better. never do that. Yeah. They would never resort to that because they're British heroes, yada, 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 yada. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's very likely that that's, that happened. I mean, desperate times call for desperate measures. And that's right. very much a desperate time. Right. So um, eventually we decided to kind of look into that again because you know Mm. logic kind of went out in that one so the site contained many bones and a few complete skeletons and the anthropologists found cut marks on many of the bones that were clearly identifiable as marks made from knives um and this you can see on slide three um he doesn't say that black and white photo that looks like a clear yes yes um and so this myth that these marks were made from stripping flesh from bone. Um, and this is seen as um, in other cases of cannibalism um, and not from animals scavenging the bodies. Uh, there was also metal found in the bone cuts that was later identified as British steel. Don't ask me how they can do that, but apparently they can do that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a thing, so we're going to roll it. <laughs> so, and the two examples are from two studies that were done. Um, Keenly Side et al., 1997, and Maze and Beatty, a.k.a. Owen Beatty, from the Beachy Graves, um, 2016. So... This mounting evidence showed that the early Inuit accounts of cannibalism were correct. Um, and those accounts were basically that they came across the site where they found body parts in cook pots. Um, oh, my God. Yeah. Like, it was very obvious. Um, like, So they're literally like, bro, like, they clearly cooked things like humans. Like, yeah. Not they, a joke. <laughs> they ate, they ate them. <sighs> they made some good soup. <laughs> <laughs> I had to. I'm sorry. <laughs> that has been a trend. <laughs> I had soup for dinner tonight. Yes, I did too. You really thought about that, actually. I was like, oh, good soup. <laughs> good soup. <laughs> oh, God damn it. This is what tic- TikTok has done to me. <laughs> so anyway... <sighs> So yeah. yeah, those are the accounts we're talking about. We're not Same. just talking about like, my life. Oh, it looks like they nod a little bit on no, they were like straight up cooking human beings. Um cooking them. Yeah, yeah. So and even a few of the early British recovery team members um found evidence of cannibalism on the bones, but they were basically sh- you know, shut up to as well by the, you know, British royalty and all of those folks. Um so um so yeah if you remember from the last episode the british did not want evidence of this getting out to the general public at the time in the 1850s um Mm -hmm. or or they straight up just didn't believe that the inuit the inuit evidence because the men on the expedition were to be painted as royal heroes and did not engage in these morally horrible acts but because they discounted the inuit accounts of cannibalism 
they discounted everything else the Inuit reported and they missed out on some major clues because they were being dumbasses. Well, you know, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. <laughs> so let's get into modern day research because it's so Let's cool. do it. Okay. Do we need to buckle up? Yeah, strap in. <laughs> strap in, buddy. All right. So modern day opinions of Native and Indigenous accounts have changed mostly because attitudes towards race has changed. Although I will state when it comes to Indigenous rights and racism towards Indigenous folks, we have a lot more to work on as colonizers. And we're recording this episode on Columbus Day. So this feels particularly poignant. (laughs) Um, Check that out. Yeah. Or I guess we should call it Indigenous Peoples Day. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. But because attitudes and opinions are slowly changing, Canadian scientists and anthropologists have relied enormously on Inuit oral histories in piecing together this puzzle, um, especially in the last couple of decades. So the Franklin expedition took part almost entirely in the modern day Canadian territory of Nunavut, um, which only just entered provincehood in 1990. So essentially provincehood, it's the same as statehood. They have provinces up there instead mm-hmm. of states. It did not become a province until 1990. That's how wild and up there. It's like what, 31 years old? Yeah, it's not It's not a very old province. Um, so this area is yeah. mostly dominated by the Arctic tundra and isolated Inuit and indigenous settlements around the northwestern Hudson Bay and the Arctic archipelago. And so um, Inuit oral histories have become monumentally important to this mystery um, because this entire story takes place entirely within this province. One of the primary experts on oral history surrounding this expedition is uh, Louis Kamukak, who has collected information from the Inuit historic knowledge, as well as keeping track of what he calls grave sites thought to be attributed to Um, the British expedition all over King William Island and the surrounding area. So Kamukak lives in Joe Haven, which is the only permanent settlement on King William Island and is primarily an Inuit community. However, due to their subsistence hunting and gathering traditions, Kamukak and others are very familiar with the surrounding land. Um, And so Outpost Magazine went Um, out to a few smaller uninhabited islands south of the King William Island. um, And they're called the Todd Islets. They're literally a little teeny group of islands just south of King William Island. Um, They went with Kamakak to view one of these grave sites, which is only known to local Inuit communities. Um, These grave sites are likely the furthest south that any of the men ever got um, on their long trek towards the back river, which is where they were hoping to take a ride down, hunt some game, and get to um, a trading outpost on Great Slave Lake, which would have been their closest um, European inhabitants, um, which was a uh, several thousand mile trip. Um, so the Todd Islets were probably the farthest south that they had ever gotten. And these sites are only comprised of a small scattering of bones within a rock cairn. Uh, Kamakak explained that the graves weren't Inuit because Inuit don't bury bodies under rocks with markers wrapped up in cloth. Um, in addition to knowledge about these grave sites, Kamakak is instrumental in collecting place names and Inuit knowledge about this expedition 
including the historic oral knowledge of the locations of the two ships, which Mm. went missing um, shortly after the men did, um, disappearing beneath the ice. Um, He states that there is a location called the Boat Place in Inuit oral history that is likely the location of one of the ships. So if you go to slide four, you can see uh, Louis Kamakak showing the outpost journalists the alleged graves of expedition members in the Todd Islets. Um, There's a picture of a human cranium from one of the sites on the right. And so they're just kind of out there. They're not really protected Um, Once again, these areas are very desolate, very few vegetation, lots of rocks. And of course, they're there during the summer months where there's not, you know, snow and ice all over the ground. Right. And I can only imagine that there's not a lot of animals around either. Is that? Mm, There are. um, It just depends. Like, so when they were there, the winter was particularly harsh. So there wasn't a lot of game even in the summer. Um, and so I think it just depends um, what time of year. But I definitely think there's more uh, like sea okay. life in the area. So like seals and whales and that kind of thing versus like right. land, land animals. But there's definitely like polar bears and stuff like that. I gotcha. Yeah. But polar bears, of course, uh, hunt seal. So, you know, mm-hmm. so not a lot of like large land mammals. No, I guess not. Yeah. Sounds about right. Looks about right. Pretty desolate place. And I mean, they've just, the Inuit have been collecting, you know, knowledge of these sites as they're just going around and hunting and and doing, you know, living their lives, um, essentially. And they're just stumbling across these places. But um, because we haven't really been interested in finding out what's going on with the story until recently, um, they've Mm -hmm. just kind of been, you know, kind of lost to history, which is interesting. So... In recent years, and I am talking about within the last 10 years, something extraordinary has happened. Okay. So the Canadian government was involved in a massive modern six-year-long project using an intensive sonar system to search for the two ships in the Arctic during brief summer search windows. Hmm. In addition, land-based searches near the boat place had found pieces of a British ship washed up on the shore of King William Island using both ship sonar, unmanned sonar searching vehicle, just like this little robot guy that they just send out and he does the sonar, especially in areas where there's more ice that they may not be able to get to. So using the ship sonar, the sonar searching vehicle, and the Inuit oral accounts of the ship's historical locations gathered by Kamakak, they found the wreck of the Erebus in September of 2014. Oh, get the fuck out of here. That's not too long ago. This was 170 years after it disappeared. 170 years. Good Lord. It took them to find this wreck. So the ship was sitting in just 11 meters, 36 feet of water, but was covered by ice for most of the year. So it was- So they never would have seen it. Yeah. Would have seen it. So, wait, and how far away... I'm looking at this map. So, how far away was the ship that they found and just where the bodies were found? Uh, what bodies? Which bodies? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, yeah, you're... The, um, the ones that... Three, the three dead ones. 
Oh, those were much farther north. But remember, um, we know that the ship managed to get farther south because they left the note in the cairn on King William Island. Right. So we know their last location, which is shown on this map. It says Erebus and Terra abandoned in April 1848. Yeah, I see that. The last recorded location. And you can see all the way down south, the north of the Adelaide Peninsula is where it was found. How to get down there. I gotcha. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so we they knew the original, like the last known location, but it wasn't there when they went to go look for it. And hmm. so this is a huge amount of... Are there gyres there? There are a lot of currents running through the islands for sure. Gotcha. Not gy- gyres are more of like an open ocean thing. As I like. figured. Yeah. So divers confirm. I'm not sure if it's just different up there. Same thing, but different situation. No, it's it's just it's kind of like anywhere else that has a lot of islands. Really, you get like currents that move through there. I mean, it's definitely different with the ice pack, um, but there's a lot of ebb and flow that goes on in that area. Gotcha. Yeah. So divers confirmed the ship was from the expedition when they found the ship's bell with the year 1845 on it, which was the year the expedition left for the Arctic. And there weren't any other ships that looked like that in that part of the Arctic. So it was definitely either the Erebus or the Terror. Um, It was later confirmed that the wreck was the Erebus when sonar was matched or like the sonar picture of the entire ship was mm-hmm. matched up with the plans like the historic plans of the ship that they had at the national maritime museum huh. so they could tell based on how long it was by certain features that it was the same ship and you can see that picture of the sonar um, next to that map so two years later another team found the most pristine wreck of the terror in deeper water to the northwest of Erebus. The Parks Canada underwater archaeological team used small remotely operated vehicles to explore inside the ship, which were inserted by divers. Artifacts such as cups, dishware, bottles, plates, firearms, etc. can still be found in the interior of the Terror. They were able to explore Crozier's cabin in 2019 to 2020 and there are likely important documents on the expedition found in his desk potentially preserved by cold arctic waters so we could potentially read if they can unlock it and get it up to the surface without destroying it we could potentially read that's so cool about the expedition (laughs) i know this is like cutting edge like happened oh man i love to google all this and there's any updates oh yeah absolutely so um on slide six you can see the wreck of the erebus the bell that was found on the erebus and then um a diver on the terror as well um and so they're very well preserved in arctic conditions because the water is so dang cold um and it's a lot easier to explore i think the erebus than the terror because the terror was found um deeper but um still very cool and they're continuing research on both so cool shit (laughs) that's awesome yeah so three years after finding erebus adventure canada and the ocean endeavor probed the erebus for additional information they found 
that based on what the 1848 note had indicated, the ships had been abandoned, but the ships were found in the wrong place. So the terror was found about 60 miles south of where the 1848 note said that the ships had been abandoned. The Erebus was 30 miles further south than the terror. um, So about 90 miles south. These locations further matched Inuit accounts of a ship being crushed by the ice and sunk. Um, This was likely the terror based on the location of the boat place in Inuit oral history. Um, And so the boat place was also much further south than um, where the original uh, Latin long of um, where the two ships were abandoned. Mm -hmm. So why were the ships so much further south? Well, after the discoveries of the ships, it's thought that after setting off across land, some of the crew maybe had a change of heart because walking in Arctic tundra sucks um, mm-hmm. and potentially returned to the ships and managed to sail them farther south. This mm. is a theory. There is some evidence for this as the wreck of the Erebus was found in a sheltered area of islets which was potentially a place for them to anchor and try to overwinter again. Um, it is also thought that it was unlikely that the ice and the currents in this region alone would be able to drive the ship into that sheltered area without it hitting islands or shoals or becoming damaged. And it's not damaged other than, hmm. you know, from ice. That's interesting. So other evidence, however, shows. Wait, just- can we pause? Yes. So not like pause physically, but okay. like I have a question. Um <laughs> to like pause. Um, <laughs> um so if the ships weren't damaged, how did they sink? Well, they were damaged by the ice, but they're saying there's no evidence of them um like being damaged by hitting a rock or a shoal or something like that. Oh there's okay. like compression fractures from like the ice and stuff. Gotcha. I'm there. Okay. Yeah, I know. There's a lot of stuff. It's, it can be kind of confusing. Continue. Somewhat confusing to put together, but this is what I've been able to get. So there's other evidence that shows just that, though, that they basically were carried south by the ice pack. So according to underwater archaeologist Brandy Lockhart, she said that the vessels might have been carried by the ice flows that had entombed them as the ice broke up. She showed that this matched the overall ice breakup drift pattern of this region and that the ice would have drifted south, potentially carrying the ships with them toward the sheltered bay. So there's kind of two schools of thought. Personally, I think it's more likely that the ice just carried them south um, because Mm -hmm. so far there haven't been evidence of bodies in either of the ships. Oh, yeah, so, like, if the crew was supposed to sail them down and, like, mm-hmm. that one theory was, you would probably think that they'd be in there too, right? Or, you know, if the ship was getting crushed by ice, as we know from Shackleton, it takes a long time for that to happen. They may have tried to leave and go to another island that was nearby. So, yeah, I don't know. I think it's more likely, though, that it was just the ice flows that carried them south personally. But dare to dream. Dare to dream. <laughs> You never know. Well, and we won't know until we can recover those ship logs. Yeah, so when you said if they can recover them without damaging them, mm-hmm. like, how would they damage them? Well, because it's All paper. they gotta do is take... Yeah, but, like, it's just, like, a book. 
just like grab it and <laughs> but it's been waterlogged for so long yes <laughs> What, is, what happens to paper when it's water? I love how you just like stared at me and waited for me to get there. <laughs> it's late, okay? I'm tired. No, no, I'm, I'm uh, trying to get get to the point because we're we're almost done. I mean, we're in 2020 now on the timeline. Yeah, so. but I mean, I guess like I my mind was also just like you how you thinking about how you said um that the ice cold water preserved them so i was also like oh well maybe they are a little bit better than what they should be but never mind i'm just I gonna mean, stop they, talking they'd probably Continue. be better than if you like found a shipwreck in like the caribbean or somewhere where yeah. like, there's a lot of decay um and like warm water but it is ultimately still paper <laughs> so. Haley, you're ultimately still an idiot so it's It's all good um okay let's keep going (laughs) we got those two theories um however brandy lockhart does state that the inuit reported having observed signs of men on or near the erebus prior to its sinking oh there was evidence of smoke rising from the ship and a gangplank lowered onto the ice it is also possible that some men stayed on the ship instead of marching with the rest. These men would have ultimately found the final link of the Northwest Passage because of this, um, although none of these men have ever resurfaced. Um, to date, no bodies have been found on the Erebus or Terra shipwrecks. Um, so ultimately, they died because we never heard from them again. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't know where the graves are, which is interesting. If if that's what happened. I wonder if they're like dead in the ocean somewhere. That's possible. They could also be one of the many grave sites that are further south of King William Island that Louis Kamakak found. Yeah. That's my mm-hmm. thought. Yeah. It's it's really because the problem is there's not a lot of full bodies <laughs> to base anything yeah. off of. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. But if we can read those freaking ship logs. Maybe we can figure that out because they probably would have still kept a record if that's the case. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to mm-hmm. know. 2021. Let's get on this. <laughs> uh, why don't you just go dive down there yourself and just get it real quick? <laughs> uh, pass. Hard pass. <laughs> Too cold. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not good enough at diving, so... <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, when I was getting certified, I dove my cert dives in a quarry in Northern Virginia in Me November, too. and I had a nine mil wetsuit on, and that was not fun. I was still cold. Lake Rawlings? Is that where you were at? I was not at Lake Rawlings. I've done that, but I it wasn't there. It was some. It was literally a quarry like in Northern Virginia. Oh, and okay. and Lake Rollins is a uh, central west ish. Yes, I yes, it say. Is. freaking cold. Anytime I've been to Rollins, it was in the like summerish time. So but once you hit that thermocline, man, <laughs> gets yeah. You. And I don't do well with cold either. So I was yeah. like, God, being wet and cold at the same time is a nightmare for me. <laughs> right? Yeah. So I'll let other people do that. Mm-hmm. All yeah, right. another reason why I moved to Florida. Yes. The cold the cold weather diving isn't even really that cold. <laughs> no. 
All right. So according to Inuit accounts, the Erebus was actually found exactly where the Inuit oral traditions um, have said that a ship sank during that time period. British officials didn't really listen to Inuit accounts, surprise, surprise, because they were repulsed by the confirmed reports that some of the survivors resorted to cannibalizing their own men. Lockhart states that since 2018, Parks Canada has been working on the Franklin Expedition Inuit Oral History Project to gather existing oral histories related to the 1845 Franklin Expedition in the Inuit lands where the wrecks were found from Inuit knowledge holders, community members, and Parks Canada experts. So this information was absolutely vital to finding the two ships um, and may help us put together the final puzzle pieces if the ship's logs are recovered. So it's kind of like a huge redemption to all of that the Inuit have been saying for, you know, over a couple centuries Mm -hmm. now, which is great. Um, Pretty much a big, I told you so. Yes. So right now, the working theory about what happened is that they all died one by one, succumbing to scurvy and exposure as they slogged across King William Island, dragging sledges in search of safety. Um, But there is potential that they may have, some of them may have returned to the boats to try to make one last push or that maybe some of the crew stayed behind on the boat. There is also evidence of lead poisoning from the Beachy Island graves, and this may have contributed to the weakness of the men as they tried to make their way south. Their food would have um, literally been killing them as they were eating it, which makes the whole cannibalism thing make a little more sense. Yeah. So there is. Yeah. 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 If they figured out that their food was killing them, what were they going to eat? Yeah. And I also wonder... Like, if eating each other, since it was, like, harming them, like, you're yeah. just pretty much still consuming what's harming you anyway, because it's right. in you. But they didn't so. under- understand the concept of bioaccumulation, probably. Yeah. Which is, is basically, you yeah. know, a accumulation of toxins <laughs> up the food chain. <laughs> right? Yes. Yeah. And lead poisoning does make you a little bit mad. You know, you start to go a little crazy. Yeah. Yeah, neurological Mm -hmm. problems. Yeah. So there's definitely solid evidence of cannibalism in the cut marks found on the bones. And this may have been the solution when either the tin food ran out or they realized the tin food was killing them. Like I said, there is evidence as well that the boats floated south with the ice flow and then were crushed and sunk. But some evidence in the Inuit oral history and based on the sheltered location of the terror um or sorry not the terror the Erebus that men sailed the Erebus to its final resting place overall the finding of the two ships and the evidence of cannibalism is an absolute vindication of Inuit oral tradition and is an important historical account to uncover there is an ongoing recovery and research going on with both wrecks during the summer season and the next goal is to access some sort of expedition log so we might understand what actually went down when Franklin and Crozier, Crozier, actually just Crozier, because Franklin was dead at that point, along with their men left their ship Mm. to set across King William Island to go south. Did they leave anybody on board in case the ice cleared? Did they return to the ship? Did those men aboard the ship uh, abandon the ship after it reaches final resting place? Or did they go down with it? Are there graves on the southernmost Todd islets 
There are a lot of questions and not a lot of answers. And unfortunately, past the ship's log, we will likely never know the complete story of Franklin's lost expedition. But if you have continuing interest in the story and are curious about some fictional reimaginings of the story, I highly recommend these two pieces of media. First is the novel, and this is some good late night ookie spooky reading as well. First is the novel. Like, I won't be doing that, but thank you. <laughs> if you want a good horror novel for Halloween. Uh, <laughs> the novel The Terror by Dan Simmons is a retelling of The Lost Expedition with a really interesting supernatural horror twist. If you like isolation horror and a good creature feature, then this is the book for you. On top of that, Dan Simmons very closely followed archaeological research that surrounded the expedition and made a very believable account of what may have actually happened based on the real-life archaeological sites, save for our monster. But a lot of the other aspects were included and like kind of essential to the story, which was really cool. Um, The second piece of media is a TV show by the same name, The Terror that is loosely based on Simmons' novel. It is an anthology series produced by AMC that tells um, enclosed stories within individual seasons based on historically accurate horror stories. Um, The Franklin Expedition um, is season one. And while it has similarities to Dan Simmons' novel, there are enough differences to make it like a different story in and of itself. Um, They also worked really hard on getting like historically accurate costumes and the actors chosen for the roles is great. And the monster design is excellent. So if you want to kind of go further beyond just um, the, you know, real life archaeological evidence, which is interesting enough, um, Mm -hmm. and definitely keep following, you know, the Parks Canada recovery efforts and, and, um, dives down on both shipwrecks um because that's kind of an unfolding thing as we speak um but those two pieces of media are really awesome and i highly recommend them and that is everything we know um on the franklin expedition and what happened to them well that was definitely an interesting story and i'm definitely going to be like looking this up once a month to make sure that there's no new developments because now I'm interested and I'm invested yes it's a weird one and there's so many like what was going on (laughs) yeah like what I want to know (laughs) just a big old question mark yeah so I love it um but we have been running a little bit long so um we'll definitely get into another ooky spooky story next week but before we leave, good things. Make them short and sweet. To good the things. <clears throat> I was hired to do a photo shoot with Yamaha Outboards, and I'm taking Friday off to do that, so that'll be fun. Oh, are you going to be a model? I am. Yes. Yep, gonna throw some, throw some cast nets, throw, drive a boat, maybe throw a line out or two. Just, <laughs> you know, stand there and look pretty. <laughs> Amazing. You'll and get paid. Yeah. You'll have to send me pictures. Um, yeah. All done. I want to see. <laughs> I'm going to ask about that on Friday. Like, hey, so how can we see these? And like, can anyone take my cell phone and take some photos of my phone while we're yeah. doing this? <laughs> yeah. And the best part is, too, is I got my boyfriend to be my boat driver. So it's yes. going to be like. <laughs> oh 
this is gonna be so fun i was like yo um they need someone to drive the boat responsibly and can throw a cat it. and like i definitely know you got one of these qualities <laughs> can you uh, are you down can you take right off because <laughs> you know fwc officers he drives a boat literally every day for like eight to ten hours a day like that's a good point yeah I yeah like he definitely you. knows how to drive a boat for yeah. sure yeah all right well mine is that i'm living in a new house and it's great and it's a real house and we have so much room and i got to paint and i got to decorate like how i want to decorate Mm-hmm. so great I painted a wall the most beautiful shade of like deep teal green and I'm in love with it and I painted my whole dining room yellow and it looks amazing and I've got a black wall in my bedroom and so that's kind of what I'm living for or have been living for like the past couple of weeks I saw your photos on Instagram and they look good yeah. I like it I want to go around um, now that everything's kind of like set up and, and take, you know, real photos of everything, but I just, you know, got sick and now I'm back at work and yeah, you got to rest. All right. So um, where can our listeners find us? You can find us on the social media at mother nature will kill you podcast on Instagram and on Twitter. We are at M and wky it always trips me mnwky podcast on twitter um and then our website is mother nature podcast.com and then we're on apple podcasts and spotify podcasts and google podcasts and we use anchor fm as our uploading platform so we're also on there um pretty much anywhere and everywhere you can find a podcast for there just gotta search mother nature will kill you and you can listen to us on our actual website as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and um, also, if you want to submit um, your own survival story, it doesn't have to be crazy. It doesn't have to involve you eating another person or bringing all your cutlery with you. If it does involve you bringing all your cutlery, though, I definitely want to hear it. <laughs> but it's just you were ha- saying that like the artifacts in the ship were like pots and stuff. I was waiting for you to say cutlery. I was like, please tell me those cutlery. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so if you have a, um, encounter with nature that left you a little scared or a little nervous or just a little more wary, um, please send it in. We'd love to talk about it at the top of the show and you can do that. There's a little submission section on our website. It's super easy to find. Um, Mm -hmm. and then if you want to help the podcast out, please give us, um, a five-star rating on any of those um, listening platforms. It just really helps us out with the algorithm um, and hopefully eventually we'll reach more people besides our like five friends who listen. <laughs> yep. But hey, two five friends. We love you. <laughs> Hi, Jeff. <laughs> my cousin started listening. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Hi, Mr. Swinford. <laughs> oh, yeah. My dad. He's an avid listener, too. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, I think it's time to wrap this bad boy up. I went on way too long about that too. So until next time, stay safe. But most of all, stay curious, explorers. See you later. And don't forget to bring all your cutlery. (laughs) 
you never know when you might need to eat a human. <laughs> <laughs> no. 